0: The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for a political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web. With a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now.
1: Welcome to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Sam Stone. Chuck Warren out of the studio today and we are blessed to have the talented, two talented and lovely women in the studio with me today. Uh, Michelle Gentirita, rita thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Former state legislator in Arizona. Lots of fun going on there right now. I
2: know. We could spend many segments on that.
1: And, and, and we will get to a little bit of that later in the show, folks, as well. We also have a returning guest, Christina Eichelkraut, joining us. She's going to be featured in the podcast segment. Uh, Christina is my friend who's a progressive Democrat and loves to argue with me. So it makes for good radio. Stay tuned. Make sure you download that podcast segment. But first up today, a story that's kind of been breaking in the last few days here, uh, personal for a lot of us here in Arizona with our education system, with what's going on, with the sort of intellectual intolerance that is creeping into so much of this country. We have Ann Atkinson. Uh, Former executive director of the T.W. Lewis Center for Personal Development at Barrett, the Honors College at Arizona State University, she's a Barrett alumna, entrepreneur, public company executive, you know, healthcare, real estate expert, wife, mother, triathlete, wow. heck of an impressive resume, and she put together, helped put together a an event, and we want to talk about that because the repercussions of that have been astounding to me. I mean, disheartening and astounding. So, Anne, thank you so much for joining us on Breaking Battlegrounds this morning. We really appreciate having you here.
0: Thank you, Sam. It's great to be with you and with your audience today.
1: Can you tell us, uh, because a lot of people, you know, maybe some folks here in Arizona will know what we're talking about offhand, but can you lay out the background of this? What happened uh, you know, kind of the timeline and then where we're at with it today, because this this is really kind of a, a stunning, disheartening, but also all too predictable now, mm-hmm. occurrence in higher education. So go go ahead.
0: Absolutely, Sam. At a very high level, the P.W. Lewis Center is a personal development center that puts on speaker programs and workshops and also has some honors courses for the students at ASU's Barrett Honors College. We put on a lot of programs. We had 40 just this last spring semester, and one of those programs was entitled Health, Wealth, and Happiness. This was a a program where we brought in experts in those areas. Um, It was optional and open to the public, and it took place at Arizona's home of Broadway at ASU Gammage. And in response to our organizing a program on health, wealth, and happiness, the faculty at the Honors College, not the students, but the faculty led a national condemnation campaign to chill and suppress and intimidate our right to bring these speakers into campus. They attacked the speakers, our donors, myself, the Lewis Center, and it was really just an incredible response um, given what we were trying to accomplish with this program. And then finally, a big part of the story is that the Honors College Participated in, in the attempts to suppress this free speech, even despite ASU's very strong policies on free speech. So they they took down our marketing. They tried to limit what the speakers were allowed to say. They wanted me to read a warning statement to the audience at my during my opening remarks, and you know, that that is directly incongruent with the robust free speech policies that ASU should be providing to all of those in its community. So I'm here today. I appreciate the invitation just to share my story of of what what happened to to folks that put on an event that was consistent with the intent of their of their center.
1: Yeah, not only consistent with the intent of their center, but featuring some very well-known national guests with high public profiles who, you know, legitimately one of them were, for instance, talking about Robert Kiyosaki, who I consider a friend um, Robert is clearly a very healthy man at, at his age, but he's also amassed a great deal of wealth by being a smart guy, right? I Who mean, were the guests? So, uh, yeah,
0: So, I think
2: that's important.
1: Go ahead, Anne. Yeah,
0: we had um, we had a, a the panel is a two hour program, ninety minutes was a panel on health, wealth, and happiness. We had Dr. Rada Gopalan, who's a renowned heart transplant cardiologist, on health. We had Robert Kiyosaki, obviously you know who he is, mm-hmm. on on wealth, and Dennis Prager on happiness. And then during opening remarks, I spoke, our donor Tom Lewis spoke, and Tom had invited Charlie Kirk to share remarks as well on happiness and human enlightenment.
1: Well, and for folks who know them and, and on Breaking Battlegrounds here, we've had a chance. Obviously, Robert is a, a resident of Phoenix, so I've gotten to know him in a right. few other ways. But, um. Dennis Prager has come on the program here. We've had a chance to meet him and talk with him. He's a happy guy. He lives a great life.
2: But what, what was the criticism from the faculty? I, I, what were they so opposed to? I mean, these are speakers that have um, spoken in front of large and small audiences all over the country,
1: all over the world,
2: all over the world. That's right. I mean, what specifically were they so offended by?
0: Well, that, and that's that's key here. So the thirty nine of the forty seven faculty of the Honors College that signed the petition condemning the event, claims that the speakers, focused primarily on on Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk, but also on Robert Kiyosaki, are purveyors of hate who have publicly attacked women, people of color, the LGBTQ community, and institutions of our democracy. They decried ASU platforming and, legitima- and legitimating their their views. Um, describing Prager and Kirk as white nationalist provocateurs, uh, antebellum slaveholder apologists, and they the claim that these two would undermine the value of the democratic exchange by marginalizing the, stu- the school's most vulnerable students. So the faculty decided they don't like these speakers. They They proved their points by referencing Media Matters in their petition, which Media Matters is a uh, a, a, a watchdog reporting organization that reports on conservatives and they determined that the speak they don't the speech they don't like is hate speech and therefore it's dangerous and unsafe for students.
2: They're the ones I feel like that are a threat to democracy by shutting down free speech but I think there's a big difference between describing and then actually pointing to, actual things these speakers have done to justify their position. I mean, very creative language used in uh, describing why they were offended by these speakers. But I doubt they had specificity um, and could point to anything, probably large, broad generalities. Uh, rather well, well one of them
1: story. was was Dennis Prager's criticism of George Soros, okay. which, which uh, for those who aren't aware is Jewish on Jewish violence. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how you call that hate in any sense of the word.
0: You know, what's interesting, the faculty described Prager and Kirk as white nationalist provocateurs, as I mentioned. But I also was pulled into a meeting with my leadership at the Honors College and an outside marketing firm and asked to defend what would stop the Lewis Center from inviting the KKK to campus because these speakers share some of the same values as the KKK. What? Now, the, the speakers that, that I invited, one is, is from Sri Lanka. Robert Kiyosaki is of Japanese descent, and Dennis Prager is a religious Jew. Yeah. So I thought that these these claims, not only from the faculty, but also in meetings with with leadership of the Honors College, um, were were really surprising.
1: Isn't it to me? And I I think one of the the sort of fundamental problems underlying situations like this is the idea that students are harmed by hearing views that they might not agree with or that they might find offensive. Isn't that minimalizing these students? Isn't that marginalizing these students to, to first intellectually marginalizing them, but second, emotionally marginalizing them that they they're not smart enough to separate an intellectual discussion from an emotional reaction.
0: That's a very important point, right? The, the faculty, by deeming this as hate speech and therefore dangerous and unsafe are telling the students, we think it is our job to protect you from dangerous speech. When in fact, again, ASU is a, is a big place. It welcomes all sorts of different ideas and this where it's not our job as educators to tell anybody what, what to think. It's to help them learn how to think. And, um, I think that by characterizing this as dangerous hate speech, by the faculty using their classroom teaching time and mandatory honors courses to these students, to freshmen nonetheless, to condemn the program and say supporting this talk is dangerous, that I I think they're really, they're really insulting the students and, and undermining their intelligence. And
2: um, if you mentioned that ASU has a very strong policy on free speech, and then they welcome free speech, how did the faculty members get away with this kind of conduct? Then, if you have ASU um, out there, you know, strongly supporting a multitude of different um, mechanisms of speech and, and variety of guests.
0: You know, I'm I'm perplexed at you know again a university so celebrated for those policies that this is what happens, and that's that's why I'm telling the story. Right Is that by bringing in speakers that someone doesn't like, this has been the reaction from the faculty and 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 the, the staff and leadership at the Honors college.
2: what But what's the president? what's what's Crow doing about it?
0: I don't know. You know, i, I would I would love to know. I have a great amount of respect for him. i I appreciated that um, when I took my concerns, all of these directly up to the very top and through all ASU channels over the past several months, that He took the time to respond and to encourage me and to schedule a meeting with the, the provost, Nancy Gonzalez, so I could address these concerns with her. Um, I, don't, I don't know what he's going to do. I, I'm sure he's, um, well, I don't want to assume, but if, if I were the president of a university here, I would be deeply troubled by the way that my community is undermining my vision.
2: Yeah. But this isn't the first time they've struggled with this. We've had to pass legislation called free speech zones for our universities because they have struggled to to demonstrate that they actually have a very strong policy on free speech and and care about a multitude of expressions and and opinions. And
1: this actually worries me, Michelle, because ASU has been one of the better ones, not what I would say good. I I don't think anyone has been great at defending free speech in the world of higher education lately, with a very few exceptions. But ASU has generally been better than most, and this is this kind of thing is very troubling, and we're seeing an increase in these incidents at ASU specifically.
2: It's a slippery slope, and if it's not course corrected now, I, I don't see it stopping. So I'm very curious, uh, and I, I believe you know Anne is as well, um, to see what. President Michael Crow does. Um, it needs to. He needs to have a strong, swift reaction, and there needs to be clarity.
1: Yeah, we're going to be coming back with more from Ann Atkinson, uh, talking about this this attack on free speech that continues in too much of our higher education establishment, and happened here uh, in Arizona at Arizona State University. We have about thirty-five, forty seconds before we go to break here. Um, but obviously, Michelle, this is something that isn't going to go away. This is a battle that people need to fight, and I really appreciate people like Anne stepping up and not just meagerly moving on. Because if you read a resume, folks, she's got an incredible resume, incredible background, and she could go on and do almost anything she wants to do. Uh, and just, you know, that would be the easy route, just quietly go away and let this happen she has stood up. You're hearing it here. She's been on some other programs talking about this. It's important we have these discussions right now. Absolutely. Breaking Battlegrounds, back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Sam Stone and Michelle legente Also in the studio with us today, Christina Eichelkraut. As always, Jeremy in the booth doing a fantastic job on all our audio fun, and and Jamie here desperately hoping I won't force her onto camera or onto a microphone. She does all our digital work, so thank you to everyone who helps make this show possible. We're continuing on right now with more from Ann Atkinson, uh, former executive director of the T.W. Lewis Center. We're talking about an incident where uh, she helped arrange a program with some what are perceived as conservative leaning guests talking about issues of health, wealth, and happiness, um, and subsequently was terminated under some really sketchy mm-hmm. conditions. And what was said about why they did it doesn't really match the reality. Uh, and I want Anne to get into that, but also she wasn't the only person who was damaged by this. So Anne what did the university say when when they terminated you and and what are they doing here cuz cuz to me some of their arguments just don't hold water
0: well what a, par, a part of what the university said was true is that Tom Lewis canceled his donor agreement that's true that happened this spring and since then i had brought new donors to the honors college excited to continue the mission of the Lewis Center. So their interest and enthusiasm was based around the intent of the Lewis Center. And that included things like traditional American values, hard work, personal responsibility, civic duty, faith, family, and community service, and also entrepreneurship, career success, happiness, personal finance, and so on. But when I, no, none of that sounds
1: bad this- to me, Ann, to be honest with you. It
0: sounds outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, that, that is the reason why I came to the Lewis Center, why I took a sabbatical from a great career in, in healthcare, real estate investment, and also a passion for the students. But that reason is why I think it, it's so important that we have something like that in higher education. And I was really excited to be able to deliver on the intent of the Lewis Center. Now, as executive director, my job is to fulfill the intent of including that language. So... the the dean of barrett who joined as the dean less than a year ago um expressed no interest when i said look i have new donors excited to continue this mission i made that offer on multiple occasions and then in my firing conversation or meeting on may 30th when she told me this was purely a fiscal decision i said it's not a fiscal decision because i i'm telling you i've brought new donors a diversified group of funding to keep this program going so long as we keep our, our normal and, and current intent. So that that's the part of the story. Um, perhaps they use sees as, as a detail, but in the fact of it, that's everything. By yeah. the, the Dean declining to maintain the intent, she dismantled the heart of what the Lewis center is.
1: And I, I got to say on that point in particular, they're talking about the message that, for instance, this event would send to students from from having these speakers there. Well, as I see it, and, and tell me if you see it differently, but as I see it, what they did in using this excuse that it's the money when you had already raised this, it's cowardice. What they're teaching their students cowardice because if they were being honest, they would come out and say, we just don't want to have a center with these philosophical foundations here and that's an argument they're not willing to have. And so they took a route that teaches students, well, you just lie. When you want to get out of an uncomfortable conversation, you just lie your way out of it. Am I wrong well, about it's that?
0: It's unfortunate, right? Because these donors were very excited to have that conversation, and, and, and the dean wouldn't even have the conversation. So I think what this tells the students is that in the event you dare to represent values that differ from the prevailing orthodoxy there will be consequences and and even with my meeting with with ASU leadership the feedback i received was we allowed the speaker but you then have to take the consequences and that is to me profound because that is exactly what happened so i think i think this sends the wrong message to the students and and further the way that the barrett faculty took these issues into the mandatory classes for honors freshmen, they're, they're you know, raising an environment of, of fear and intimidation. Given the power dynamics of the faculty who you know controls things like grading and can grade um, objective topics like participation, so this this culture of the condemnation campaign really instilled a fear, a, a culture of fear in the students. I had students come up to me say, Anne, I really want to attend the Health, Wealth, and Happiness program, but I cannot be photographed at this. I cannot have my faculty member, my professor, see that I attended this event. And others were just outright afraid. They were afraid because their faculty, people that they they trust, that are their leaders, that they've developed relationships with through their classes are telling them this is dangerous. And they they don't want to be associated with something that's dangerous. So it's giving the wrong message to students and um, the students are, have probably also seen by by me speaking up that you know in the event you speak up, there there will be consequences.
2: Well, ASU Barrett College needs a consequence, and I think it starts with you know maybe an appropriation or a lack thereof. I mean, they feel like they can do this. That's that's my takeaway. They're not afraid. They're not afraid um, to have this negative press. They think it's going to they they will weather it. They're not afraid of people speaking up, speaking out, and that's unfortunate because they get away with it way too often. Um, And so we're probably gonna they probably need to. Take it where it hurts, which is in the pocketbook, um, which is in their bottom line. I mean,
1: well, it, it's interesting because you know I think one of the problems is they don't care that much about the public funding they get anymore. Oh yes, honest. they do.
2: Oh, they care They're down about there every crying dollar all the time about money. Oh,
1: but yeah, but but that is a standard tactic for every institution with public dollars, right?
2: If, if they didn't
1: care. I mean, how One of the things I, I think worries me is that they they put the ideology over the welfare of the students, including potential funding, right? I mean, that's, that's what you're saying here. What they're saying is, hey, we're not worried about any consequences. It's more important to us to keep students from hearing an opposing viewpoint than to concern ourselves with that sort of end.
2: Right, because they've never felt a consequence.
1: Fair point. And one of the other elements of this I want to touch on is is this didn't just impact you. We have about a minute and a half before we go to break. We can continue on in the next segment if you'd like. But but this actually had impact on on, an, on at least one other person.
0: Right. Yes. The events operations manager at ASU Gamage, Lynn Blake, was responsible to, for organizing this event on behalf of the venue, on behalf of ASU Gamage. And she received tremendous pushback um, after our event, she told me that she was berated by ASU Gamage leadership for coordinating an event that did not align with the values of ASU Gamage. And she also has said that the leadership of ASU Gamage um, asked her why she brought a white supremacist to their venue. She was also fired. Which was the white
2: supremacist again? It's, it's hard to keep track of all of their insults. Um, is that uh, the Maybe the... <laughs>
0: The, either the Japanese gentleman, the Sri Lankan general right. or, or the religious Jew. I don't I'm wow. not sure That's incredible. <laughs> this is
1: these stories are just amazing and the fact that a lot of po- folks in the country won't ever hear about it because the news is is very selective also as selective as colleges are in their chosen ideology these days. But I mean, I I, I really appreciate you standing up to this, Anne and coming out. Um, We're going to be following this story as we continue, and we will post that op-ed on Breaking Battlegrounds' website and on our social media. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you. Breaking Battlegrounds coming back in just a moment. at overstock
0: we know home is a pretty important place and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful high quality furniture and decor you need to transform any
2: home into the home of your dreams overstock making dream homes come
3: true
1: Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. This is Sam Stone in the studio today. Michelle Egenti-Rita, Christina Eichelkraut. Michelle, yeah. I, I really want to thank Anne for coming on and for being willing to talk about this, not just taking her firing quietly, which right. she, she could have done um, and would be in in many ways the easy way out because she has a, you know, another option in her career where she can go back and probably make a lot more money than she's been making working at ASU. She was doing this for very good reasons, mm-hmm. as you heard. Um, Michael Crow, the ASU president.
2: He, look, you can't be silent. And to your point that you made earlier on with Ann, if this is how you really feel, then justify it. Yeah. You know, don't lie about it. Come out and say that yes, uh, we're very particular about what um, ASU looks like. They're condoning and the and the perspective ideology we want to stand behind. This is not something we support.
1: Yeah, I mean, come out and say I refuse. We refuse to have conservative speakers and thinkers on our campus or have our students exposed to them at any ASU venue. Mm-hmm. And and then let's go ahead and have that argument. To me, it is very cowardly and disingenuous. And Michael Crow again continues. You know, first I think he's he's primarily a developer, not not a university leader. I think his major interest is in in business, not education. But secondly, I think this happens a lot because he's totally let this university get out of control. For folks who don't know, uh, critical race theory, DEI, ASU is one of the national homes, the, the sprouting institutions for this. And this has happened under Michael Crow's tenure. And a lot of Republicans in Arizona continue to hold a higher opinion of Crow than certainly I do. Mm-hmm. And part of it is they don't know that this goes on, and they don't know what he's done and not done. I am th- This guy's an embarrassment at this point. And if we get a Republican governor in there in a couple of years, he needs to be gone.
2: Well, this is an educational institution. That's and we've lost sight of that. This is all. It seems like a lot of times it's about propaganda. Uh, it's about putting the university's heavy hand on how students think and believe, and total contradiction in what a university uh, should be and ought to be, which is you know, a, a melting pot of ideas um, and opinions. So it's it's disconcerting. And look, I wanted to touch on the fact that we have to have legislation that sets up little little zones of free speech. Um, that's hardly congruent with a university that says that they support and excel at uh, free speech.
1: You, you know, and, and I agree 100 um, percent. It's what, free speech zones are an atrocity. I know. Why I mean, they you, should never – You shouldn't have to have That's an absolute them. atrocity. It's embarrassing. It's, a, it's public land. Right. That's all free speech zone. Right. The only free speech zone on the planet should be private property, and that just means you're not allowed to stand there while you say it, go out in the road.
2: Right. Right. I
1: mean, that's what we're talking about here.
2: But see, until they have a consequence, this is not going to change. And this isn't really uh, an ASU – predicament. This is happening all over the country. They are not afraid. So we're going to have to do something beyond just sharing the stories. I mean, they have to feel it. I think they have to feel it when it comes to their funding. That's the only thing they respond to. As a former legislator, I can tell you that's the only thing they respond well, to. Well,
1: they're, they're funding and jobs. So Ron DeSantis in Florida has taken Let's very strong that, right? steps, right? He has replaced the boards. He started firing and getting rid of the DEI departments mm-hmm. and, and the, the professors behind them. And they're throwing an absolute fit. And every time he just says, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And And he's right
2: because that's where the public sentiment is with with someone doing what Ron DeSantis is doing, not the reverse. You have to you have to push back on these bullies and realize that they don't have the public.
1: Yeah. I I mean, one of the things, you know, if you're if you're talking about critical race theory in in the uh, confines of a class. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're talking about it as an ideological pole and you're comparing it to others. That's a very appropriate thing for a university to do. But taking that one singular ideological pole and making it the guide star for your entire university, this is this is absolutely everything universities were designed not to do.
2: That's exactly right. And it has to stop. So hopefully things like this bring larger attention and uh, ASU and uh, Michael Crow are on notice.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're going to have to. This is why local elections matter. Mm-hmm. This is why your state legislature, your all your state seats matter. It's not just about your taxes, although those are important, mm-hmm. too. But at the end of the day, uh, there really is this huge push to eliminate free speech in in educational settings and to limit it. You know, someone It was reading a case. We only have about 45 seconds here. We can come back to some of this in the podcast if we want. But, you know, a, a school in Massachusetts uh, disciplining, suspending a student for wearing a shirt that said two genders.
2: Right. Read right about that.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Like, OK, scientifically, that student's pretty much on point. <laughs> right. you, you can argue in an ideological sense, but it's absolutely ridiculous what's going on in our educational system. And it starts at the universities. And Absolutely. people have to step up to stop it and do what DeSantis is doing. Folks, Breaking Battlegrounds will be back with more in just a moment. We've got a fantastic returning guest, Mark Skusen, coming up. And then we're going to be talking education. Christina's here gritting her teeth, her, pro- her progressive teeth. <laughs> Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Sam Stone. Chuck Warren out of studio today, but in studio with us the lovely Michelle Ugenti Rita and equally lovely Christina Eichelkraut. Christina, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we were gonna have a, a Mark Skusen on talking a little bit about Freedom Fest. Folks, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, go to freedomfest. I, I don't know if it's com or org. Probably both. Yes. And and it's a great time. I'm gonna be there. So you can come to Freedom Fest and see me. Right? I think that's should be that's, the only
2: motivation. That should be the absolute
1: you. only motivation. I mean, I'm bringing I'm bringing some other personalities along with me, but they don't matter.
2: No, those that's your B team. You're that's you're right. A.
1: So Christina has something interesting she's doing. She's a right. school board member at Ball School District. Hello. We've had her on to talk about that before, <laughs> but I actually wanted to talk a little bit because one of our ongoing themes for a lot of our listeners mm-hmm. has been AI. Oh, and we're talking about AI. Christina actually is is. Much more involved than I would ever want to be in the tech world, uh, and I'm still gentle. Yeah, she, she spends a lot of her time wrangling tech bros. Oh I, well, it
2: sounds like a weekend fun.
1: Uh, it it sounds like weekend fun if I get a lasso and a barbed wire fence thrown in. So. Uh, But 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 Christina manages to do it, but she's also created a business. There's been a lot of talk about what AI is going to do to various areas of employment. One of those is writing. Mm,
2: Exactly. You Mm -hmm. know.
1: Um, So, Christina, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Is AI going to overtake human writing?
2: Um, I
3: think it definitely has the potential to, but that doesn't necessarily render humans irrelevant. So, as you know, my background, um, I spent nine years as a community print journalist and then I started a digital marketing company. So um, when AI and ChatGPT came out, a lot of the groups that I'm involved with, with copywriting on LinkedIn were like, oh my God, you know, because it's already an oversaturated market. Um, You're already dealing with the perception that it's a hobby, not a skill. That's not helpful. You know, there's a lot there already. Um, So ChatGPT3 comes in and people are like, oh, you can get all this like quality. Quality content, um, but the fact of the matter is, the majority of my clients right now, I'm actually editing AI generated text, and that's actually something. And I'm I'm really marketing hard that I, you know, I provide human generated content because a lot of what I do, um, even in the industrial and technical fields, is not going to be able to be done through autocomplete. So what I mean by that is what people don't understand about AI generated text is that it's using the corpus of knowledge from the past. It can only look past, not forward. So in certain things, if you're developing a new uh, biomedical software, for example, or if you have um, a blog that's going to rely on emotional appeal for marketing to get users to get buyers. ChatGPT, it doesn't use syntax well, it doesn't use colloquialisms well, and it certainly can only autocomplete things that are already known. So in industries, um, both industry and software, where you're having innovation, and it's new things looking forward, and oftentimes, that does lead to new etymology, new words, new, um, you know, you'll have new like portmanteau words, things like that. it, it can't do that. It's going to autocomplete based on the past. So,
1: th- and, and see, Christina just used at least three words that no one else in the history of this <laughs> uh-huh. program has ever <laughs> used.
2: <Yeah.
3: laughs> yes, Grammarly is always telling me I use unique words. Um, so I do think there are certain writing functions. There are certain boilerplate things um, where ChatGPT can be useful. I will point out there was a school district that sent out a condolence letter in another state about a student who died, and then one of the parents ran it through one of the scanners and found out that it was a AI I generated a condolence letter and this did not go over well. Um, wow. So, yeah. That's so, insulting. Yeah. So, so I do think um, this notion that, like, you know, we're never going to need human writers. We're never going to need, you know, I think there's going to be more of a transition into it's going to be more editing than original writing. But again, if you're, if you specialize, for example, in industrial disc grinding, right? And you're appealing to a military contractor and they need a very specific kind of steel disc grinding for their equipment. Mm-hmm. That's not something you're going to – I don't care how good your prompt is. You're not going to get that from Chat gpt 3 You need to have a human conveying that to another human. And then it's just true of, in terms of just innovation, things like that. There's new biomedical terminology because of some of the advancements being made right now in um in in prosthetic software. That's another great example.
1: Well, that's one of the things. I really hadn't heard anyone put it that way. I mean essentially between a software that can look backwards –
2: Y-
3: yes but
1: humans obviously can look forwards and at this point chat gpt can't do that
3: it is autocorrect people don't understand that now there is uh, there is there's reason to believe you know 10 20 years down the line we're going to have neural networks that are advanced enough where you're going to have those associations but as of right now it is glorified autocorrect let us be clear that it is going from a corpus how does chat gpt happen there are um You know, you have tens of thousands of uh, people in lower, uh, in developing countries like Nigeria, for example, and they literally have been spending the last 20 years doing very repetitive, very low paid work to do, you know, whenever you get that box that says, you know, click on every square that has a traffic light, versions of that. So they might have to like stand back and take a picture of themselves in a motorcycle helmet and take a picture of themselves in a t-shirt as opposed to a suit jacket. That's how these models learn, right? So it can only look backwards,
2: Right. I, I saw a wonderful documentary that talked about this on Netflix. And that's exactly how, you know their point uh, or, or, or individuals that were critiquing um, artificial inte- intelligence and, and some of this stuff was that they can only do what's already been done. And so there is a handicap there in, you know, like Christine was saying, for particular industries where you need to write and talk about things that are going to happen. And only a human can really contemplate.
3: Yeah, yeah. that. I've
1: got to say, I know people have talked about AI getting to that point. But I'm not sure that's a point we actually want AI to get to, is it?
3: I I think that's a question worth asking, right? So... I did, um, I wrote an article actually for my nonprofit that talks about this, and it talks about the sociological impact of when you remove humans from human interaction. And we know from a variety of circumstances, there's quantitative data about this, there's qualitative data. The more you remove people from human reactions, the more you see a deterioration of human traits that include empathy, that include critical thinking. And I'm talking about, and this is not high level, you know, high tier Mm. academic stuff. this is like if you're using the self checkout at the grocery store, for example, as opposed to just saying hello to your checker. I have a checker that I have; he's my favorite checker at Safeway, and I know that his kids graduated college. I've been going to the Safeway for like five years. I go. Wait a minute. Chat right, like, like, right. This is this is a human interaction. We're not besties. We don't hang out, you know. But you know, yeah, you kind of like catch up on little tidbits about each other's lives, and and there's a real underestimation of the importance of those interactions in terms of what that does to you as a human as opposed to, like, scanning through a self-checkout.
1: I, I You know what's funny? A couple of days ago, there was a New York Post piece out about how uh, disconnected and socially isolated uh, Gen Z is. Because mm. they grew up, you know, their education really got interrupted in the pandemic with digital learning, remote learning, now remote work. And they were talking about this. And I read this whole piece, and I'm like, man, this is really tough if you were right in those key years. Um, and you get to the end and they say, you know, asking the experts they're interviewing for this what the answer is. And the literal closing of this was, oh, they're going to have to learn new ways to comp- to uh, communicate like an app.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I'm That's like, a joke. what? <laughs> yeah. The, the I answer think to people are going to tolerate this, though. I mean, I think you're going to see people crave and look for opportunities to. Interact, And you'll see businesses try to specify what kind of material they're getting, if it was AI-generated versus human-generated, if you will.
1: You know, one thing, so I've, uh, as fo- some folks may know, I've started doing a little bit of work with uh, Y-Refi. Yes. And, and I actually got a, I, I need to do a sponsor read before we close out here about them. Because since they started sponsoring us, I started working with them. And their office is a little bit hybrid between remote mm-hmm. and Uh, in person and we've actually been having a lot of conversations like maybe what we need to start doing is scheduling some sort of office social hours essentially where we're coming in and doing these various team and group building things Um, even if that's a little uncomfortable for people just simply because otherwise you're missing so much of the interaction of office workers i forgot you know in the days when i go in there's a bunch of people in there it's really fun to be able to go around. You have a bunch of coworkers you can yeah. sit there and chat with. You have yeah. different conversations. You hear stories about lives that are totally unlike yours, and and you you know you learn from them. Um, you know, man, that's so different than the isolated environment. A lot of days when I go in there and I'm one of only two people in that office, and I'll I'll be in there for three or four hours. It's it's quiet. It's sort of intimidating, that's right? You know, in that sense. Um, I, I think we really need to focus right now on the discussion about AI and how it changes human interaction and maybe put some limits on it for that reason.
3: I, I think they're definitely it's – it's. I think what we're going to have to do is I, I think you spoke to something um, and we I already have seen that pushback at different you know there's different advertising firms and other friends of mine in marketing where one thing they're doing now is like they will call up and they will say if part of their package includes web copy they'll say like you're not just going to have something doing with chat GPT3, right because they're like I'm not going to pay 700 right. 800 a thousand dollars a month to have you plug in a prompt that takes you 30 seconds that I could do myself right and that's a valid point mm-hmm. too. And syntax, tone, colloquialism, slang, like all of these things, um, they're valid. And, and ChatGPT is getting very good at them. But I think there's a time, there is a place for ChatGPT. Yeah. There's a lot of places where um, it eliminates potential for human error, certain rote programming, certain, you know, certain boilerplate things are fine. Sure. But I, I, I think this notion of um, simply absconding humanity um, just because we can is, is perhaps folly. I don't think that's necessarily going to lead to any good outcomes for anybody. Christine,
1: are we having enough conversations? Is the tech world, because you're closer to this than, than I'm not that us. close
3: to it, but yeah. But you're a lot closer. I'm, I'm tech-adjacent than... at best. I'm tech-adjacent okay. at best. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, that's, better, that's better than tech-distant, like me. Um, I, I still struggle to, you know, turn on an iPhone, so
2: let's... You're getting there, though. I saw you try to it on
1: this morning. I was working on it, but yeah. I haven't gotten it yet. Right. <laughs> I, I I I figured now that I am here with Jamie, I just hand She'll it to her it. and she can yeah. do it. Yeah. Um no, but but are the dis- are the discussions about the morality about mm-hmm. the um how far AI should go? Are those happening?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. 100%. Um yeah, they're uh yeah, that's absolutely happening. I I don't think it's um I think there are a lot of people who actually understand how this technology works and understands where it is. And they're not thrilled about the public perception of it. It's like the public is perceiving a Ferrari when what we have is like a very souped up Impala, right, that does have power seats and does have power windows. And it's very good, but it is not a Ferrari. And and you have kind of like this public perception of like, you know, let's all get in the Ferrari. Um, So I think there are definite concerns about that. Um, And I, I think there are a lot of of concerns. I I am, I will say one thing about the tech industry as a whole that that I just really kind of grinds my gears is you have all these leaders now and all these developers of AI that now that the genie's out of the bottle, and this is a tradition in tech going back to Oppenheimer and the A-bomb, right? Now that the genie's out of the bottle and we're already here, they're going to sign a letter and they're going to talk, you know, about, oh, we're really worried now. And it's like, well, you know, you could have put that in your research paper prior to you know, releasing this. Um, and there's discussions to be had about open source technology versus proprietary. What is this going to do in terms of access? If you have countries where you don't even have internet access, um, how are we exacerbating the disparity in terms of access to tech and how does that exacerbate the detrimental consequences of that disparity? That's another conversation to be have. It's like anything. You can't take something as general as all morals and apply it to all tech in all situations because there are plenty of situations where this is going to be great. It's going to help people it's going to further us it's going to bring us forward right there's going to be plenty of situations where it does the exact opposite but the sociological component in terms of what it's doing to us as humans as just you know the warm fuzzy soft science stuff that people are so quick to dismiss nowadays with you know bowing to the altar a stem it's that needs to happen it's that t-shirt this all comes down to the t-shirt that Mm. says science will tell you how to bring back the t-rex the humanities will tell you why it's not a good idea
2: (laughs) It is that T-shirt. Everything comes back down to that T-shirt. It's like a T-shirt theme. And the other one, the other T-shirt you brought up (laughs) that the the student wore that said there's two genders. Right. It's all about that T-shirt,
1: too. Right. Yeah, no. I mean, so that's actually, it's really interesting to me because a lot of these conversations are not happening the way they need to be happening at the highest levels right now. And one of the things with tech is, and you served in the Arizona legislature, you know how many people there are really tech proficient? No one. Nobody. 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 How many in Washington, Christina? Do you think are well, really? Well,
3: I'm going to say. I'm going to excuse me. me I'm going to say Senate. It's, I'm going. I'm going to say. Uh, Lindsey Epstein. Actually, she
1: she knows what she's about. I-
2: Is she a Democrat? Because then she doesn't. <laughs> okay. She
1: she knows she knows what she's All about right. when it comes to tax. Folks, <laughs> you heard it here, but do check out our friends at InvestYreFi.com. InvestYrefi.com, you can help somebody who has a, a default student loan get their life back on track, reduce their payment, and you can make a fantastic profit up to ten point two five percent APR while they do it. That's a deal you can't pass up. It's the ultimate form of capitalism. One person with a need, one person with an opportunity, give them a call at 888 YREFI 24, or again, log into investyrefi.com. The 2022
0: political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for a political office, the first thing on your to do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from godaddy.com. Get yours now.